What's up, everyone? This is Alex. Welcome to another episode of Shadow Talk, um, Digital Shadows Weekly Threat Intelligence Podcast. I have the usual crew with me today. We have Casey, we have Charles, as well as Mr. Rick Holland, uh, the CISO of Digital Shadows. How are you guys doing today? Pretty good. Pretty hey good. there, man. Pretty doing good. Well, <laughs> I expect nothing less. Only, only good times allowed here. No right. sadness. So, we dive right into it. Um, Casey, I think uh, I think this first topic is is up for you. So, we posted a blog a couple of days ago about Torigon, which is um, an English language cybercriminal forum. And whenever I see Torigon, I always think of Porygon, the Pokemon. I don't know about you guys, so I just can't not, get that out of my head. I'm not aware of that one. <laughs> Casey, I'm not. Casey. Re- I'm not really up on the uh, Pokemon universe. It's part of the original 151. How fun, can you not? Fun, really? fact, fun fact about Alex is he can identify all 806 Pokemon by their silhouettes and recite their stats to them. Yeah, my we brain is filled fantastic. with useless knowledge. I, I just love the Slack screenshots that come from this conversation with Alex knowing the Pokemon. <laughs> I mean, there, it's, it's a certain, certain skill to have to be able to remember all those names, right? But unfortunately, yeah, we're not, we're not, <laughs> not going to be talking about Pokemon <laughs> in this podcast, though, as much as I wish we could make it a Pokemon podcast. Um, so, so Torigon Forum, um, they recently um, decided to close up shop. Casey, do you want to tell us more about Torigon? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Torigon, so this was an English-speaking forum um, that kind of aimed to connect the English-speaking users and the Russian-speaking users. So they can kind of connect and work on sharing like various malware types, um, working on different exploits, and also discussing various hacking or other security techniques. Yeah, we don't really see that too often. Usually those two landscapes are pretty segmented, right? It's, it's fairly yeah. unique to see them, at least institutionally, as like designed for both landscapes, right? Usually it's one or the other or like a weird mix of the two. But this one was interesting because like you mentioned, um, it was specifically designed for those two uh, speakers. So it was it was taken offline actually a couple of months ago as well, right? Like in, in the fall of 2019 between October and November. Yeah, I think they finally decided to take it offline, um, I believe in the beginning or early 2020, but I could be mistaken. Um, They actually started off back in September 2019. um, And then by about October 2019, it was starting to kind of attract more users in the cyber criminal forum space. Um, However, I guess around mid-October, the site was taken down for unexplained maintenance. And I mean, usually whenever something like this occurs... um, Forum administrators, you know, kind of like to keep their users in the loop. So they avoid the, the uncertainty, the fear, um, different stuff like that. However, Torgon admin team didn't do that. They just kind of left them hanging. Um, so that was definitely, you know, kind of interesting. I was curious to see if they were, you know, why? Why aren't you promoting your, yeah. your forum? Why aren't you trying to, you know, kind of keep it going? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's always bad news when a service that you you know, use goes down and no one can tell you why and no one knows when it's going to be back up. We all know that feeling, don't we? Yeah, I think we become more familiar with it over time. (laughs) Especially if it's a marketplace and you have uh, Bitcoin escrowed with them and they just exit scammed all over your your cryptocurrency. Yeah. Yeah. Where's, Where's my money, man? Yeah, I mean, in all these all these forums, especially the English language ones, it's like they're always trying to become the next big thing, you know, the next Torum, the next XSS or the next exploit, but very few actually get even remotely 
far. And I mean, Torgon's a great example of one that, that tried to, you know, they tried to do something new, but in the end, it eventually failed, right? So it's, yeah. it's tough. I don't think there's any magic formula anyone can really follow to make a successful cyber criminal forum. But there are, of course, a lot of different things that they have to bear in mind in order to, you know, increase the amount of people that go in their forum and to attract new people and to keep those that they already have. So it's, it's tough to say the least. Yeah, yeah, totally agree with you. So, so Casey, why, why did they actually, you know, fail to uh, make themselves well known? What, what happened? Why did they shut down? So right now, we don't really know exactly why. We don't have a concrete reason. I mean, there's obviously, you know, quite a few reasons that we've kind of assessed is like, is this more likely or not? And toward the end of 2019 or in the early part of 2020, um, they began being targeted by DDoS attacks. So that took them offline for quite a while. And then that could, you know, definitely be part of it. Like, is this a resource issue? Do they have enough, you know, infrastructure to make things, you know, keep going? Um, They didn't appear to have any defenses available to, you know, mitigate these DDoS attacks. So like a CAPTCHA or something like that, that we've seen on other forums. Um, Other than that, there's, kind of like what we were talking about, how the administrators didn't really try to market or promote users to visit or join the site. And then also, one of the main goals was to connect Russian and English speakers, but the entire site was only written in English, so it didn't really help with anyone that wasn't a non-English speaker. So that could have definitely been a reason for attrition and it eventually dying out. Yeah, I mean, those kinds of DDoS attacks, I mean, we're all familiar with that on, you know, services that are legitimate, but this also happens on a lot of cyber criminal forums, a lot of cyber criminal marketplaces, both on the uh, the dark web and on the clear web. And I think that reminds me of um, another piece of research that we published recently as well about the uh, the endgame DDoS protection kit, which was this uh, toolkit that was being advertised across a couple of different cyber criminal forums that would be like a one-stop shop for anyone trying to protect their... Um, Cybercriminal forum from these kinds of, of DDoS attacks. So it's definitely something like if that was the case, it shows just how much damage it can cause. You know, if it's enough to completely shut down a marketplace or a forum for good, then that's something that they have to take pretty seriously if you're a forum administrator, right? Oh, yeah, totally. Lots of work goes into that. Yeah. So check out the um, blog for, for Torgon. We'll link that in the, uh, the show notes. And I want to keep in with the theme of cybercriminal forums. So this is something that's a little bit more lighthearted. It's not about, you know, a form completely disappearing, whether that's good or bad. That's a topic for discussion. But um, we have Nold Forum, which is one of the more common English-speaking forums. They, um, or at least a couple of users on Nold Forum, recently released a service that they called Nuldflix. And so it's pretty much exactly what you think it is based on how it sounds. It is a uh, nulled focused streaming service that they first announced in early June. And it was created by the, uh, the member of the month on that forum from May. So it's not some random person on that forum that has nothing to do. This is someone that has, you know, a long history on the forum enough to get the, the member of the month award and nulled flicks. it allows people to watch stuff together, you know, TV shows, movies, um, even live streaming. Um, and, memes apparently according to the description and i think it goes along well with this other thing this notion of forums having to bring their communities together if they want to survive uh, bring their communities together if they want to survive so obviously not something that torgon did successfully but this you know with Netflix, 
Um, they even had things like a chat box and it was free to use. So it wasn't like it was strictly financially motivated, right? They didn't get any fundings from ads or anything like that, at least according to the, to the creators. And it was more so created to just drive that user engagement that's so critical to a forum success, as well as create more opportunities for that really critical sense of community. Um, at the time that we are speaking now, uh, Netflix is, is sadly not online. It was taken down pretty much immediately so that they could work on it. At least that's what the creator said. So they were clearly having a couple of issues there. But in terms of the reactions that people had to Netflix, it was pretty positive. So it also shows how, you know, you have these cyber criminal forums, but there's not always an overt criminal angle to whatever happens on these cyber criminal forums. You know, these people are human just like us. And we've seen similar things with other, you know, gaming competitions on these types of forums. And it's also, uh, you know, something that we see with these English language forums like Nulled, right? They attract, um, you know, Nulled Raid. They attract um, a much less experienced audience forum user base. Um, they, they're a lot younger. So that might explain why they try to do things like this, keep them together, keep their people on their forms um, rather than going to some of the other ones. So it's always interesting to see different initiatives like this that pop up that are just weird. You know, you think of this and you're like, oh, huh, of course that's a thing. Trying to build a sense of community, just like, uh, just like other forms that are non-criminal in nature, right? Yeah. I mean, it's free. You don't have to pay for a monthly subscription, right? So there's, there's also that. So I think we'll see over the next couple of months if it does come back and if it you know, if it becomes popular, it could be a big draw for more people to come check out Nulled. So if you want to read that blog, there's a lot more information on that, of course. Um, that will also be linked in the show notes. So I'll kick this one over to you, Charles. So this is something that was reported by a bunch of different news outlets. I know Brian Krebs talked about it, and they called it um, Blue Leaks. So, so what exactly is, is Blue Leaks? What happened here? Uh, yeah, so Blue Leaks, uh, 270 gigabytes of files were uh, stolen from a, a web web hosting provider out of Houston, Texas that typically caters to law enforcement. So they've been like a lot of law enforcement online portals, things like document processing, things like that, that are done online for police departments. Uh, people uh, got on there and got a hold of that and then released to the public. Um, it was actually leaked through uh, distributed denial of secrets uh, through their, their Twitter account leaked it uh, and uh, said it was there. Um, a lot of the stuff that was in these files is uh, so it's a lot of like police reports, training bulletins, like guidelines, like how to deal with protesters, stuff like that. But there was also like some police reports, uh, some stuff hadn't been sanitized very well. So there was like uh, crime victim, personally identifiable information in there. There was like police department routing numbers for like bank accounts and things like that. There's uh, all, all kinds of data um, in there. So a wide variety of stuff and actually uh that Twitter account ended up getting banned for, for posting this because it wasn't sanitized and it, uh, Twitter was cracked down on them for violating their terms of service for distributing, uh, you know, hacked, hacked data that didn't belong to them. I mean, so, it doesn't really surprise me, right? Um, I mean, Twitter's getting a lot of flack about that because WikiLeaks still has an account up and uh, there's a few other, they were, they were slow to act on other people that, uh, that were banned. So I, I think yeah. there's, there's some interesting play there. Uh, I think, you know, just in terms of, of what gets taken down and for what reasons and stuff. Uh, but I mean, I don't, I don't disagree with it. You know, there's, there's personally identifiable information of, of crime victims in there. I don't, I don't necessarily think it was the wrong move to, to take, that, take that account down. Yeah, I mean, I saw a couple of people talking about how this is, you know, similar to the kinds of things that WikiLeaks would do anyway, right? And so, yeah. 
I mean, one one hand, I don't really. It's not surprising to me that they did get removed from yeah, Twitter, exactly, but exactly. I also don't expect them to stay gone forever. They'll probably come yeah. back in some way or another and try to release other types of data sets. Exactly. Yeah, it's it's a cat and mouse game with trying to keep people off of off of various social media platforms. So, I think it's yeah. a. Uh, I think it's a good reminder. We we internally we always talk about data is toxic. Your data is a liability. Your data is a, is an opportunity to make revenue, or complete the mission, or whatever. But I think things like this every time, and you know, obviously we'll see more leaks. There'll probably be some S three buckets in the next couple of weeks. Um, uh, some stuff on Pastebin. Actually, we'll talk a little bit about um, GitHub uh, coming up in a second. But to reevaluate your you know your data governance. And knowing what your data is and having like TTLs on your data, like the longer you keep data, the more risky it could be for you. So I, I think this is just like another reminder in a long line of reminders that we really need to understand our data. And if you don't need it, delete it. That sounds like a, a campaign, campaign thing. If you don't need it, delete it. Um, <laughs> because you don't want to be like, like Sony pictures or whatever, right? There's a classic example on your email. So uh, everyone should, uh, make sure that their annual um, audits are more than a checkbox when you're looking at your uh, data lifecycle and data governance. I mean, and to, to piggyback off of that, some of the data that was in the Blue Leaks files is like 25, 26 years old. So, I mean, uh, yeah. yeah. If you don't need it, <laughs> delete it. I really love that catchphrase. Yeah. I really do. It's great. Someone needs to copyright that or trademark it like immediately. Mm. It's just that yeah. good. I mean, Charles, did they, um, do we know how they managed to get a hold of this data? Was it, you know, the result of a misconfigured database or did they exploit some sort of vulnerability? Do we, do we know any of that? Uh, that I did not see if they, uh, had said exactly how, how it happened. Um, given that it's a web development site, I'm, I'm assuming right. there's probably, uh, a variety of methods they use to try and get in and get that data. But, uh, as far as I know, they did not disclose the exact method. So, right. Yeah, I mean, I expect that we're going to continue seeing things like this happen. Yep. This is something that you know, happens very, very often. Um, it's like every other week you hear about another database being left unsecured or if that, if that was the case or, you know, someone trying to gain access into a sensitive database. Something that happens all the time. So maybe we'll find out more information over the next couple of weeks and who knows, um, maybe, uh, maybe DDoS secrets will come back to Twitter as well. Yeah, that's something to keep an eye on. So, so Rick, a couple of minutes ago, actually, you mentioned um, stuff about, you know, how data leakage from GitHub is something that affects a lot of different organizations and how it's something that can sometimes be overlooked just because it's not as flashy as some of the other types of data leakage that we see out there. So at Digital Shadows, I mean, we've been working on a couple of new product features with regards to how to protect organizations um, with regards to their data leakage. And this, I think, Charles, um, with regards to things like DevSecOps, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's kind of just, you know, the, the current trend is just in, in the industry is start moving towards DevSecOps principles. Uh, you start looking at things like just integrating security from the beginning of the product platform and not having security being something that's bolted on at the end. So it's not just a, a set of compliance features, you know, yeah. that you're just at, at the end going, oh, do we do we do X, Y, and Z? It's having security involved in the development of the product or, or the, the, the life cycle of the software that you're developing at that point, you know, like using secure code practices, checking things during development, uh, you know, like, like just building a secure product. So that way the end user doesn't have to worry about the security basically uh, and, and deploying it that way. And it's just, it kind of, 
following DevSecOps principles is really a good way to kind of meet that that middle ground of, of security versus usability a lot of the time because a lot of people just, you know, if, if things are complex but secure, a lot of people aren't going to go out of their way to use them. And so if you could start to just follow good principles and build secure products from the ground up, then it's usually a better outcome for everybody. So yeah, It's kind of the uh, soup du jour, although I don't mean that in a negative way of, good you soup. know, <laughs> good soup. Um, if you don't need it, delete it. Um, little callback there. Uh, you know, it's something that we work on here and we have initiatives around this at Digital Shadows. And you're, in, in many ways, you're almost, you know, reducing the amount of work security team has to do because you're giving that work to the engineering teams and baking that into the process. Um, and engineering teams start to do security work themselves and the security teams can kind of provide an assurance uh, type of function uh, for for the work. But one of the things that we've seen, and all four of us know about this because we did a talk at Besides DFW about a year ago or a little bit longer than a year ago, um, where we built a, a lab environment um, and had all this sensitive data that was up on GitHub. Um, in fact, I don't know, Charles, it's kind of a cool example. And Casey, you too, because you you had some really good stuff with Robin Yokees. Why don't you guys give an example of the scenario that we set up and then we can kind of talk about how, you know, the new capabilities could help find some of that thing, uh, uh, that, that leakage and risk that's out there. Yeah, sure. So we started with, uh, as Rick mentioned, Robin Yokees, which is a fantastic name for a situation or scenario such as this. Um, so Robin Yokees was a software developer that didn't necessarily have the best operational security. So she would drop like subtle hints that could be used um, for an, that an attacker could use to kind of pivot off of certain information and eventually gain access to some pretty sensitive stuff associated with the company that she worked for being Virtual Whale. Um, now Charles can kind of get into the, the reconnaissance and the, the SSH keys and good stuff like that. Uh, yeah, so in, in this scenario, basically, um, we, we used, uh, we were teaching an OSINT course and, and we did OSINT on this, uh, on this fictional developer, uh, realized, you know, figured out where she worked, what she did, and then based on what she had talked about, we found her, uh, her GitHub repository and were able to find AWS access keys uh, that she had committed. Uh, so the, the end goal of the workshop was to be able to use those keys to push new SSH keys to uh, an EC2 instance and authenticate to that as the developer uh, and then start to own the, the AWS infrastructure. Uh, but what we found found out and ran into was within 15 minutes of actually putting the real keys on GitHub for students to find, uh, I was notified by GitGuardian that those keys were on on GitHub and they uh, Amazon uh, deactivated the account and uh, shut down any of the instances that were you know associated with those keys. But in the same amount of time that that had been going on, that it took them to do that, there was also like 11 new instances that had been picked up and opened without my authorization using those same access keys. So, so people had already found those within that amount of time, someone had already found those and it was able to open, you know, that many instances without authorization. So people are actively looking for those. Uh, but then at the same time, it was a pretty quick remediation, uh, and, and to get that turned off that they, I mean, that they were able to, you know, just shut that down and say, Hey, your, your keys were exposed. Uh, and so that's, I think it's a really good example of, of, 
DevSecOps principles, you know, is, is being able to scan your code repositories and stuff. And so that's something that we've kind of pivoted into doing here at Digital Shadows is being able to find sensitive data and information inside of code commits, uh, not necessarily even just keys, but just like all whatever kinds of data is provided to us by clients that we can look for inside those GitHub repositories is one, one more way of keeping track of your data. So that way it's not becoming a, a liability to you. Yeah. If you don't need it, delete it. Um, sorry, I'm just going to keep forcing Never going to let go. No, my joke about GitHub is GitHub's, uh, well, back in the day, I used to say S3 buckets were the new paste bin. And now I say GitHub is the new S3 bucket. So if you're not looking at your Git, it could be GitLab as well. So if you're not looking into your code or contractors that are doing things with your code that you're not uh, aware of, there's big third-party risk angles there. You might be interested in some of the, the new features that the uh, product team has rolled out. Yeah, for sure. Um, so we actually have a good blog that was written about these new capabilities as well as DevSecOps in general. Be sure to check that one out. We'll put that in the show notes. So there's also going to be a webinar on those new product capabilities as well. So keep an eye out for those. Thanks everyone for tuning in to another episode of Digital Shadows Shadow Talk. As always, have a great day and we'll see you all again next week. Thanks everyone for joining today. Ciao. Bye. It's been fun. Bye. Later.